Welcome to Sound Prints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prints for April 23, 2020. It's been over a month since we shared information from the Internet. And we like to bring articles and press releases to you because we know that a number of our listeners are not able to obtain information from the net. So, in an effort to catch up on the news, we've included articles posted on ACB Leadership on page 2 and articles related to the coronavirus on page 3. On page 2, ACB announces a partnership with the Be My Eyes platform and app. We include information about how Microsoft and Objective Ed are teaming up to help blind children continue to learn Braille while their schools are closed. ACB's letter to Congress, signed by 75 organizations serving people who are blind and people who have disabilities, about the need to ensure accessible voting on absentee ballots, and a press release about ACB's and ACB of New York State's action against the state of New York regarding absentee voting, are also included. Included on page 3 are three articles from the Mayo Clinic website, including the differences between quarantine, isolation, and social distancing, the use of blood plasma to hopefully fight the virus, and how to fight the coronavirus at home. There's an article from WLKY-TV in Louisville about a very hopeful new treatment option for the virus developed at the University of Louisville. And finally, there are excerpts from an article from Everyday Health about nine tips to help diabetics fight the coronavirus. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of Sound Prints, and if you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you would like to join our email list, give us a call at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2 Articles posted on ACB Leadership. ACB Partners with Be My Eyes from ACB Leadership List. On Wednesday, April 22, 2020, ACB was pleased to announce that they became part of the Be My Eyes platform as a specialized help provider. This means that anyone in the United States who needs to communicate with an ACB expert can now initiate a video call directly through the Be My Eyes app and have their call routed simultaneously to our team. This amazing tech is not only going to boost our efficiency in supporting members and prospective members being able to solve problems faster in many cases by looking at them, but also allows us to ensure that calls are answered promptly in all cases. Be My Eyes has a massive global platform and will be communicating our partnership far and wide. So, as one of only a few blindness organizations on the platform, we are leading the way for others. Currently, their partners include big names like Google, Microsoft, and P&G. So we are in good company on the specialized help provider list, only visible in the United States, and will be visible under the Blindness Organizations category on the Specialized Help screen. We hope you can help us spread the word, both internally and to those in your external networks. 
We are thrilled to be signing on and hope that not only will this increased connectivity be of great benefit during this difficult remote period, but will go on to show its value in the future as well. To read the full press release about this partnership, visit https colon slash slash acb.org slash acb dash announces dash partnership dash b dash my dash eyes. The next item is a press release from ACB posted on ACB Leadership by Kelly Gask on Tuesday, April 21. The subject line reads, ACB and other disability advocacy organizations bring voting rights complaint before Department of Justice. Alexandria, Virginia, April 21, 2020. The American Council of the Blind, along with its New York affiliate and other disability advocacy organizations, has brought a complaint before the U.S. Department of Justice Disability Rights Section. The complaint highlights the discrimination brought about by absentee voting. The right to vote via absentee ballot has long been a goal of the blind community, but has been amplified in light of the coronavirus. Governor Andrew Cuomo, New York, has taken tremendous steps to fight the virus and provide for his state during the crisis, but among his numerous actions, he implemented Executive Order 202.15, which means that state residents must mark an absentee ballot on paper. This prevents New York residents who are blind from voting privately and independently. Quote, an alternative to voting in person is necessary during this COVID-19 crisis. People who are blind should not have to be exposed to the virus unnecessarily by voting in person. Just as all other New York residents have the right to vote via absentee ballot, the state must provide an accessible voting method that blind residents can use remotely, states ACB President Dan Spoon. Quote, Technology exists that will enable blind and visually impaired Americans to vote independently via online ballot marking devices. With the advent of workable technology, states have no excuse when arguing that the difficulty of providing accessible absentee voting systems, notes Karen Blackwoods, president of ACB of New York. Quote, the Washington Lawyers Committee is proud to represent ACB and the complainants in this matter. While we applaud Governor Cuomo's decision to protect voters from COVID-19, he must do so in a way that provides equal access for voters with disabilities. There are safe, effective methods for voters with disabilities to cast a private, independent absentee ballot, and we urge the Department of Justice to instruct Governor Cuomo and the New York Board of Elections that they must implement reasonable accommodations consistent with the ADA and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act for the primary election in June, stated Jonathan Smith, Executive Director, Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs. This next article posted on ACB Leadership is entitled Objective Ed and Microsoft Help Students Practice Braille During Pandemic. 
ACB immediate past president Kim Charlson is quoted in this article. This was initially posted on blog.objectived.com. Thanks to a grant from Microsoft's AI for Accessibility program, Objective Ed has developed Braille AI Tutor, an innovative system to enable students to improve their Braille literacy through a combination of speech recognition and engaging games. The system is specifically geared to facilitate learning Braille from home or in a distance learning environment. Objective Ed is providing free access for schools and teachers to their entire distance learning system for students with visual impairments. And Braille AI Tutor is a highlight of this digital curriculum. While hundreds of apps and online distance learning systems are available for most students, there are much fewer choices for students with disabilities, especially those who are blind or have low vision. Objective Ed is working to ensure that these students have the same educational opportunities and programs as their peers without disabilities. According to Kim Charlson, Executive Director of the Perkins Library and former Chair of the American Council of the Blind, quote, Braille AI Tutor is a great way for students to continue their Braille literacy when they cannot meet face-to-face with their Braille instructor. Braille is essential to developing literacy, and it levels the playing field. It allows students who are blind or visually impaired to learn at the same pace as their sighted peers. So there are no limits on their potential, said Dr. Kirk Adams, President and CEO of the American Foundation for the Blind, AFB. With the Braille AI Tutor, Objective Ed has created an innovative, inventive, creative solution for students to continue learning this invaluable skill in a distance learning environment as a result of these unprecedented times. End of quote. Marty Schultz, president of Objective Ed, noted that Kirk and the AFB were instrumental in facilitating the relationship between Microsoft and Objective Ed. End of quote. To use Braille AI Tutor, a teacher uses the Objective Ed web dashboard to create a lesson, such as a short story. Braille AI Tutor sends one sentence at a time to a refreshable Braille display, and the student speaks the sentence as she reads it. Using Microsoft AI's speech recognition, the child's speech is converted into text, and Braille AI Tutor compares the original sentence to the text. If the speech and the text are the same, then the student has decoded and spoken the words correctly and scores points in a treasure hunt game. Braille AI Tutor is compatible with Freedom Scientific and HIMS refreshable Braille displays. Quote, it's never been more important to lean on technology to bridge learning gaps and we're thrilled with how Objective Ed is using Azure tools to ensure Braille education is available to students from the safety of their homes, said Mary Ballard, Microsoft's AI for Accessibility program lead. Objective Ed's distant learning system is free for the remainder of the 2019-2020 school year for schools, and the digital curriculum includes orientation and mobility skills, assistive technology skills, and Braille literacy skills.
teachers can sign up at www.objectiveobjectiveded.com slash distance, D-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. This item was posted by Clark Rockville on ACB Leadership on April 12, 2020. And it is entitled, Congress Must Protect the Voting Rights of People with Disabilities. Clark writes, all, please find attached the letter that ACB and more than 75 national, state, and local organizations sent to all members of Congress urging the inclusion of accessible absentee voting alternatives for the 2020 elections. Thank you to all the affiliates that signed on to this letter. Please feel free to use this letter when advocating for accessible absentee voting in your state. And please let us know of any changes to your state's voting system due to COVID-19. Clark is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind, and he can be reached by telephone by calling 202-467-5081. And Clark's email is crackfall, R-A-C-H-F-A-L, at A-C-B dot O-R-G. The letter reads, American Council of the Blind, Together for a Brighter Future, 1703 North Beauregard Street, Suite 420, Alexandria, Virginia, 22311. Telephone, 202-467-5081. Fax, 703-465-5085. April 10, 2020. The Honorable Nancy Pelosi, Speaker, United States House of Representatives, 1236 Longworth House Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20515. The Honorable Mitch McConnell, Leader, United States Senate, 317 Russell Senate Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20510. The Honorable Kevin McCarthy, Leader, United States House of Representatives, 2468 Rayburn House Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20515. The Honorable Charles Schumer, Leader, United States Senate, 322 Hart Senate Office Building, Washington, D.C., 20510. Reference, Congress must protect the voting rights of people with disabilities. Dear Speaker Pelosi and Leaders, McConnell, McCarthy, and Schumer, the American Council of the Blind and the undersigned organizations actively represent and work to advance civil rights for people with disabilities. We write to express our concern that the CARES Act, H.R. 748, fails to reinforce to states that they must ensure equal access to federal elections for voters with disabilities when administering funds pursuant to this act. The basis of our great democracy is the fundamental right to privately and independently mark, cast, and verify a ballot. Through passage of the Voting Rights Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, and the Help America Vote Act, Congress mandated that states must ensure all voters are afforded full and equal access to the ballot box, whether at a polling location or voting remotely. Yet, 
Voters with disabilities are routinely disenfranchised in absentee voting programs that require the voter to cast a paper ballot for federal elections. To complete a paper ballot, one is required to, at the least, read standard text, physically write and or fill in the ballot choices, seal and certify the ballot via a signature on the envelope, and mail the ballot back to the appropriate voting official to be counted. Each of these steps may act as a barrier to voting for voters who are blind and disabled. There is no nationwide approach to creating accessible absentee ballots, and as such, many voters with disabilities are excluded from absentee ballots. Some states have implemented accessible solutions to this problem, such as remote voting through the use of online and remote ballot marking devices. For example, earlier this year, Governor Justice in West Virginia signed into law SB 94, a bill to bring the absentee vote by mail system in West Virginia into compliance with Title II of the ADA by offering an accessible electronic absentee voting option for those with disabilities. These changes are the result of the tireless work of advocacy organizations and, in some cases, legal action. These ad hoc decisions by states to protect voting rights create an uneven landscape where voters with disabilities in some states may successfully cast a private, independent absentee ballot, while voters with disabilities in other states cannot for the same federal election. Readily available solutions already exist that afford people with disabilities full and equal access to absentee or remote voting through the use of online and remote ballot marking devices. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and it is once again incumbent on Congress to reinforce the American principle that federal elections must be administered in an equitable manner, enabling voters with disabilities to cast a private independent ballot. We strongly urge Congress to remedy the current disenfranchisement of voters with disabilities by requiring an accessible, secure online option by which people with disabilities may privately and independently mark, cast, and verify their ballots in any future COVID-19 relief legislation where federal election funding is allocated. Sincerely, Eric Bridges, Executive Director, American Council of the Blind, American Association of People with Disabilities, American Foundation for the Blind, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, AAJC, Association of Assistive Technology Act Programs, Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired, Association of University Centers on Disabilities, Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, Blinded Veterans Association, Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, Disability IN, National Association of Councils on Developmental Disabilities, National Association of the Deaf, National Council on Independent Living, National Disability Rights Network, Paralyzed Veterans of America, Prevent Blindness, Self-Advocates Becoming Empowered, United 
Spinal Association, VisionServe Alliance, Washington Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, ACB of Virginia, Alabama Disabilities Advocacy Program, American Council of the Blind of Indiana, American Council of the Blind of Maryland, American Council of the Blind of Nebraska, American Council of the Blind of New York, American Council of the Blind of Ohio, American Council of the Blind of Texas, Arizona Council of the Blind, Inc., Bay State Council of the Blind, Braille Revival League, California Council of the Blind, Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, Disabilities Law Program of Community Legal Aid Society, Inc., Disability Law Colorado, Disability Rights California, Disability Rights Center New Hampshire, Disability Rights Florida, Disability Rights Iowa, Disability Rights Maine, Disability Rights Nebraska, Disability Rights New Mexico, Disability Rights Ohio, Disability Rights Texas, Disability Rights Vermont, Disability Rights Wisconsin, Florida Council of the Blind, Georgia Council of the Blind, Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, Guide Dog Users, Inc., Illinois Assistive Technology Program, Illinois Council of the Blind, Independent Visually Impaired Enterprisers, Indiana Statewide Independent Living Council, Iowa Council of the United Blind, Kentucky Council of the Blind, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, Louisiana Association for the Blind, Michigan Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired, Michigan Protection and Advocacy Service, Inc., Middle Tennessee Council of the Blind, Missouri Council of the Blind, Mountain State Council of the Blind, West Virginia, New York Association on Independent Living, North Carolina Council of the Blind, North Dakota Association of the Blind, Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind, Pennsylvania Council of the Blind, People First Wisconsin, Protection and Advocacy for People with Disabilities, Inc., Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, State of Georgia Vision Alliance, South Dakota Association of the Blind, Tennessee Disability Association, Utah Council of the Blind, Washington Council of the Blind, Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired. Page 3. Articles Related to COVID-19 and the Pandemic. The first article is from the mayoclinic.org website and is entitled COVID-19 Coronavirus Quarantine, Self-Isolation, and Social Distancing. Learn the difference between quarantine and self-isolation amid the COVID-19 pandemic and why it matters by the Mayo Clinic staff. You've read about people self-quarantining, social distancing, or isolating themselves during the coronavirus disease COVID-19 pandemic. You may be confused about the various terms and wonder what you should be doing. These terms describe approaches for limiting the spread of disease during epidemics and pandemics. Social distancing, keeping space between yourself and other people outside your household to prevent the spread of disease. Quarantine, separating people and limiting movement of people who have or may have been exposed to the disease to see if they become ill. Isolation, separating people who are ill from others to keep the disease from spreading.
Social distancing. You're likely practicing social distancing if there's ongoing community spread of COVID-19 where you live. For example, you're likely keeping social distance by staying at least six feet, two meters away from others outside your home and avoiding large groups. Follow specific social distancing guidelines from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, World Health Organization, WHO, and your local health department. Quarantine. Doctors or local health departments may ask or require people to go into quarantine who've recently had close contact with someone with COVID-19 who might have been exposed to COVID-19 or who've recently traveled from a place with ongoing community spread. Quarantine can mean staying at a specific facility or staying at home. People who don't develop symptoms of COVID-19 after the quarantine period ends are released. If you're quarantining at home because you might have been exposed to COVID-19, the CDC recommends that you monitor yourself as follows. Watch for common signs and symptoms, such as fever, cough, or shortness of breath. Keep distance six feet or two meters between yourself and others. If you develop symptoms, check your temperature. Isolate yourself at home if you feel ill. Call your doctor if symptoms worsen. In addition to these measures, if you've recently had close contact with someone with COVID-19 or recently traveled from or lived in an area with ongoing community spread of COVID-19, the CDC has these quarantine recommendations. Check your temperature two times a day. Stay home for 14 days. Stay away from other people as much as possible, especially people at high risk of serious illness. Isolation. Doctors or local health departments may take special isolation precautions for COVID-19 disease, asking or requiring people who have or think they might have COVID-19 to go into isolation. Hospitals have isolation units for this purpose for very ill people. But doctors may advise many people with mild symptoms of COVID-19 to isolate at home. During home isolation, you'll need to stay away from family members to keep them from getting the infection. Avoid sharing dishes, glasses, bedding, and other household items. Use a separate bedroom or bathroom if possible. If your symptoms get worse, contact your doctor for medical advice. Follow recommendations from your doctor and local health department about when you can end isolation. These measures can help limit the spread of COVID-19. Here's another article from mayoclinic.org entitled, Convalescent Plasma, Possible Treatment for COVID-19. What is convalescent plasma? Is it a COVID-19 treatment? The answer is from Michael J. Joyner, MD. Researchers are testing the use of donated blood as a treatment for people with severe coronavirus disease, COVID-19. People who've recovered from COVID-19 have antibodies to the disease in their blood. Doctors call this convalescent plasma. 
Researchers hope that convalescent plasma can be given to people with severe COVID-19 to boost their ability to fight the virus. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has outlined the requirements that individuals must meet to donate blood for this research. Before donated blood can be used, it must be tested for safety. It then goes through a process to separate out blood cells so that all that's left is plasma with antibodies. The immediate goal of this research is to determine if convalescent plasma can improve the chance of recovery for people with the most severe disease. A second goal is to test whether convalescent plasma can help keep people who are moderately sick from getting sicker. Such a treatment would be a boon for people at high risk, such as with underlying medical conditions, as well as family members and healthcare workers who have been exposed. In addition, learning more about the use of convalescent plasma now will help healthcare workers be better prepared if a second wave of disease occurs, as has happened in past viral outbreaks. To find out if you may be eligible for this treatment, talk with your doctor. If you've had or recovered from COVID-19, consider donating blood through the American Red Cross or your local donation center. They can provide information about the donation process. This next story is from WLKY-TV in Louisville, Kentucky, and was posted on April 22. Louisville, Kentucky. University of Louisville researchers say they may have made a breakthrough in fighting the novel coronavirus. In a race to find a treatment, UofL says it has developed a technology believed to block SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, from infecting human cells. They explained it this way, The technology is based on a piece of synthetic DNA, or an Aptamer, A-P-T-A-M-E-R, which targets and binds with a human protein called nucleolin, N-U-C-L-E-O-L-I-N. Researchers said early tests show this aptamer may stop viruses, including novel coronavirus, from hijacking nucleolin to replicate inside the body. They have used this same technology in clinical trials for cancer. Quote, what we found was this is a safe kind of drug. It had very few side effects, and that's why we're so excited about the prospects of moving this forward as a treatment for coronavirus. We don't think there's going to be any serious side effects. Paula Bates, a university school of medicine professor, said, She said they know that it works against the actual virus in a cell-based model. So that gives them really big hope that it will work in patients, too. Bates, along with John Trent and Don Miller, discovered the aptamer. She then partnered with fellow researcher Kenneth Palmer, who conducted proof-of-concept experiments showing the aptamer was effective against the virus at doses previous research has shown to be safe in patients, a news release said. Now... The researchers want to fast-track development, including application to the Food and Drug Administration, for approval to start treating patients seriously affected with COVID-19. Quote, We know how to make it. We believe it can be scaled up pretty quickly 
to be made available as needed. I think everybody in science and medicine is behind this, so when people find something that works, once they've shown it works, things will move very quickly with the FDA getting approved, hopefully, and with being able to manufacture enough so everybody can have it for treatment, Bates said. Another Mayo Clinic article, Ways to Fight Coronavirus Transmission at Home. Used properly, most common household disinfectants will kill the virus that causes COVID-19 by the Mayo Clinic staff. Doctors and researchers are gaining a greater understanding about the coronavirus disease, COVID-19 outbreak, and how the virus can spread. Public health messages emphasize the importance of frequent, thorough hand-washing and social distancing to slow the spread of COVID-19. You can also take steps in your home to keep the virus from spreading. No special supplies are required. You likely already have what you need. How is COVID-19 spread? The virus that causes COVID-19 can be spread by contact with someone who has COVID-19, as well as contact with surfaces or objects that person has touched. When someone with COVID-19 sneezes or coughs, respiratory droplets are released into the air. Droplets typically don't travel far, no more than six feet, about two meters. The virus may stay on surfaces from hours to days. How can I prepare my home? You can reduce potential spread of COVID-19 by cleaning and disinfecting frequently touched surfaces, such as tables, doorknobs, light switches, handles, desks, toilets, faucets, and sinks. Do this daily if someone in your home has COVID-19. Start by putting on gloves before cleaning and disinfecting, preferably disposable gloves, so you can throw them away immediately after you're done. If you only have reusable gloves, don't use them for any other purpose. Thoroughly wash your hands after removing your gloves. Cleaning with soap and water removes dirt and lowers the number of germs on surfaces. Once surfaces are clean, you can apply disinfectant to knock out any germs that are left. What disinfectants kill COVID-19? The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, has a list of disinfectants for use against COVID-19. Although these products haven't been tested against this specific virus, they're known to work against other, harder-to-kill viruses. Look for products with active ingredients such as ethanol, hydrogen peroxide, or quaternary ammonium. Q-U-A-T-E-R-N-A-R-Y ammonium, A-M-M-O-N-I-U-M. In the U.S., check labels for EPA registration numbers. Read and follow product instructions, including what precautions to take when using the product. Many disinfectants need to remain on surfaces for some time to be effective. This is called the contact time. Check the label for the specifics. Also, make sure you have good airflow in the room when you're using any type of disinfectant. Does bleach work against COVID-19? Yes, you can make a disinfecting solution by combining four teaspoons, about 20 milliliters, of household bleach and one quart, slightly less than one liter, of water. 
Read and follow instructions and precautions. For example, wear gloves and make sure there's good airflow in the room. Don't mix bleach with ammonia or any other cleaner. The combination could produce toxic fumes. How can I disinfect phones and other electronics? Follow manufacturer's instructions for cleaning and disinfecting. Otherwise, you can clean cell phones with disinfecting wipes that are 70% alcohol. Wipe the face of the phone and along the sides and back where you hold it. Let it air dry. The same goes for computers, laptops, tablets, and remote controls. Wash your hands thoroughly when you're done. And this article comes from EverydayHealth.com and is entitled Nine Diabetes Care Tips During the Coronavirus Pandemic. COVID-19 has the potential to increase health complications in people with diabetes, whether type 1 or type 2. Here's what these individuals need to know. This article is by Cheryl Huggins-Solomon, S-A-L-O-M-O-N, and is medically reviewed by Lynn Grieger, G-R-I-E-G-E-R, R-D-N-C-D-E. It was last updated on April 16, 2020. No matter what's going on in the world, maintaining a healthy, whole foods-focused diet is important for blood sugar management. If you've been keeping up with federal guidance on who's at higher risk and complications from COVID-19, you know that people with diabetes are among the affected groups. People older than 60, along with those who have respiratory problems, high blood pressure, and heart disease, are too notes the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. That said, if you have diabetes, the disease doesn't appear to increase your risk of being infected, according to the American Diabetes Association, ADA. This is apparently true even though research, including a review published in the Indian Journal of Endocrinology and Metabolism, shows that the immune systems of people with persistent hyperglycemia function less well. With COVID-19, the disease caused by the coronavirus, the real problem is that people with diabetes are more vulnerable to complications and getting seriously ill from the virus once they are infected, says the ADA. Quote, in China, where most cases have occurred so far, People with diabetes have much higher rates of serious complications and death than people without diabetes, the organization explains in its online guide to COVID-19. That's because people who already have diabetes-related health problems are likely to fare worse if infected simply because of those problems. A person with diabetes who is otherwise healthy doesn't carry the same level of risk. A small preliminary study of 174 people in Wuhan, China, suggested that people with COVID-19 and diabetes, but without other comorbidities, were at a higher risk for severe pneumonia and inflammation that contributes to an accelerated progression of COVID-19 and a worse prognosis. Researchers published their findings in the March 2020 issue of Diabetes Metabolism Research and Reviews. Furthermore, 
it doesn't appear to matter what type of diabetes you have. Quote, We tell our patients with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes that as of today, there is no information saying whether patients with type 1 have a higher risk in comparison with type 2 or vice versa, says Catherine Arak, A-R-A-Q-U-E, M.D., the Director of Endocrinology at the Pacific Neuroscience Institute at Providence St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California. According to the World Health Organization, WHO, coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that cause diseases including the common cold, but also more severe illnesses such as Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, SARS, and COVID-19, which first became known at the end of 2019 during an outbreak in the city of Wuhan in China's Hubei province and has since developed into a pandemic. As of now, there is no vaccine or cure for the coronavirus that causes COVID-19. Common symptoms of COVID-19 include fever, tiredness, dry cough, aches and pains, nasal congestion, runny nose, sore throat, and diarrhea. WHO reports, some infected people have no symptoms at all, but they can still spread the virus. For most people, the disease is mild, but about 80% of those infected recover from COVID-19 without needing hospitalization or special treatment. Yet around one out of every five infected people do become seriously ill, develop difficulty breathing, and require hospital care. While estimates for the death rate vary, even at a low-end estimate of 1%, COVID-19 is 10 times more deadly than the seasonal flu, says Anthony Fauci, MD, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, as reported by CNBC.com. If you have fever, cough, and difficulty breathing, the WHO advises you to seek medical attention. Stay at home and call your doctor. Don't go to an emergency room unless you are having a medical emergency, in which case you should call 911, advises the CDC. The agency describes the emergency warning signs for COVID-19 in adults as difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion or inability to arouse, and bluish lips or face. Given all that, if you have diabetes and wish to stay in the best health possible during this pandemic, Dr. Arak and others have some advice. One, follow the CDC guidelines for everyone. Quote, we know that we should follow the CDC guidelines with regard to symptoms and when to test, regardless of the underlying diagnosis of diabetes, says Arak. Those guidelines include clean your hands often with soap and hot water or sanitizer that is at least 60% alcohol. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth with unwashed hands. Avoid close contact and practice social distancing, staying at least six feet apart. Cover coughs and sneezes with a tissue, then clean your hands. Clean and disinfect frequently touched surfaces daily, 
and dirty ones immediately. Stay home if you're sick. Separate yourself from others if you have been diagnosed with COVID-19 or think you have it. Wear a face mask outdoors. Call ahead about medical attention unless you are having a medical emergency. Of course, in this fast-moving pandemic, local, state, and federal regulations and guidelines are constantly shifting regarding meetings, gatherings, travel, working, and when you should stay at home. Follow the latest ones as they are meant to slow the spread of the virus. 2. Keep your diabetes treatment supplies and equipment clean and disinfected. Quote, We advise our patients to please keep up hygiene at home, to keep washing their hands, says Iraq. For patients with diabetes, it is important to wash their hands thoroughly before administering insulin or injectable medications. End of quote. They should also use soap and water to clean the areas on their body where they inject their medications. She further cautions patients not to share needles or pins and to dispose of needles safely. 3. Keep your prescriptions filled and stock up on extra supplies. Quote, we want to ensure that those patients have all their medications, not only the medications to treat diabetes, but the medications to treat hypoglycemia, end of quote, says Iraq. She advises having extra glucagon or glucose tablets in case your blood sugar drops too low. People who take insulin should have backup insulin pens or syringes and vials if needed and extra ketone strips. Quote, contact your insurer or diabetes supplier about increasing your allotment of supplies, advises Melissa Young, a pharmacist at University of Utah School of Medicine in Salt Lake City and a spokesperson for the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. You do not want to run out of continuous glucose monitoring sensors or pump tubing. If your pump malfunctions, calling the manufacturer will usually be the first step. If a glucometer malfunctions, there is an 800 number on the back of the glucometer. Try that first. Typically, manufacturer support is available to assist with glucometer questions. End of quote. As for how much you should stock up on, quote, The CDC recommends a 14-day self-quarantine period for anyone exposed to the coronavirus. So to be safe, at least several weeks to a month's supply of medications on hand is recommended, says Dr. Young. Four, check for measures that make it easier to get those extra supplies. If you are worried about the possibility that your prescription coverage won't allow early refills, check with your pharmacy benefit provider or insurance provider. Quote, now that a national emergency has been declared, many insurers have increased allowances for number of days, supplies, or early refills for chronic care, non-controlled, such as non-opioid medications for underlying medical conditions, such as diabetes and high blood pressure, says Young. For instance, the large pharmacy benefit manager, CVS Caremark, announced on March 12 that it is working with its clients to
to waive early refill limits on 30-day prescription maintenance medications, and that furthermore, Aetna will offer 90-day maintenance medication prescriptions for insured and Medicare members. Walgreens and CVS have also announced that they're waiving fees for home delivery of medication. Quote, Contact your regular pharmacy or diabetes supplier as soon as possible, Young advises. Your prescription information is on file, and they are aware of your insurance plan allowances on medications and supplies to be received per prescription. End of quote. Call the toll-free number on the back of your health insurance card for benefit details, she says. Take advantage of mail-order delivery if you are instructed to stay at home or are taking self-isolation measures. If you are worried about the cost of extra medication and lack adequate coverage, check the JDRF resource page for help with diabetes medication costs. JDRF is a nonprofit dedicated to type 1 diabetes advocacy and research. 5. Don't worry yet about the medication or insulin supply chain. You may be wondering if measures to slow the spread of the coronavirus behind COVID-19 will affect your ability to get your medications and medical supplies on time. As of Monday, March 16, 2020, per an email ADA sent to Everyday Health, the organization was unaware of any interruptions or in, or issues with the supply chain of insulin, but that the situation is changeable. As of Tuesday, March 17, 2020, a web page on type 1 diabetes and COVID-19 published by the JDRF stated that they are in touch with drug and diabetes supply manufacturers and also are unaware of any interruptions. These manufacturers have communicated to us that COVID-19 is not having an impact on their current manufacturing and distribution capabilities. We will continue to monitor the situation and update the type 1 diabetes community should anything change, says the organization. The page links out to statements by several major manufacturers who say they don't foresee any supply shortage or disruptions. The JDRF advises people to keep checking their page for the latest developments. 6. Know that some over-the-counter medications can affect blood glucose. Some over-the-counter medications used to treat cold and flu symptoms may affect your blood sugar levels, the JDRF warns. These include cough syrup, except those that are labeled sugar-free, pills that contain the same ingredients as syrups and do not have carbohydrates, decongestants such as phenylephrine, P-H-E-N-Y-L-E-P-H-R-I-N-E, and pseudoephedrine, P-S-E-U-D-O-E-P-H-E-D-R-I-N-E, aspirin in large doses, Advil, ibuprofen, which can increase the hypoglycemic effect of insulin. Ask your health care provider if you are not sure about the effects of an over-the-counter medication. 7. Be vigilant for signs of DKA, especially if insulin or other medications run low. People with type 1 diabetes, and in rare cases, 
long-standing type 2 diabetes are vulnerable to developing a potentially life-threatening condition known as diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA. Notes a rock. When the body doesn't have enough insulin to convert glucose into energy, it begins to break down fat to use as fuel. The result is a buildup of acids in the bloodstream known as ketones. We advise patients to check their ketones at home if they are experiencing persistent hyperglycemia to make sure they don't go into DKA regardless of whether they have any symptoms. This can happen in patients that miss injections or that have failures in their pumps or any problems getting access to insulin. They need to go to the hospital separate of any symptoms of COVID-19. End of quote. Eight, maintain a healthy lifestyle by prioritizing diet, exercise, and sleep. With gyms closed and many sports activities postponed, it can be a challenge to stay on the healthy regimen you established before the pandemic. Quote, in my experience, some patients become sedentary when they stay at home, notes Iraq. If you are not under quarantine or otherwise advised to stay at home, go for a walk outside in the park while maintaining social distancing guidelines. If you are homebound, pop in an exercise video or hit the Pelotron. Also make sure you are stocking up on food that helps you consume carbohydrates in a healthy way, the JDRF advises. Also, continue to manage stress and prioritize sleep. Two other essentials for managing your blood sugar. Nine, if you call the doctor, keep both COVID-19 and diabetes in mind. Quote, when people with diabetes call their doctor's office for advice, they should be prepared to report blood sugar values, medication doses taken or missed, severity of respiratory symptoms, any nausea or vomiting, and how much they are able to eat or drink, says Julie Atkinson, a pharmacist and certified diabetes educator in Houston, who runs the blog My Diabetes Village. Quote, be aware of the signs and symptoms of DKA so that you know when to check for ketones and seek care immediately if needed. And don't be afraid to voice your concerns to your health care team. Quote, this is not the time to not ask questions, says Iraq. This is the time to ask questions and call your provider. It's better to ask them than to delay care. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.